come under that blood, the blood of Jesus, stay under the blood. There's only one place safe. That's under that blood, the blood of Jesus. We come, Lord, and we pray, Lord, cleanse us, Lord. Have mercy on us, cleanse us, sanctify us. And we pray as we hear your word, we look into your word, we study your word. Your Holy Spirit will teach us, your Holy Spirit will speak to us. And we'll always be kept by the word of your grace. That grace that comes through your word. Keep us, Lord. Keep us. And as we study and hear more and more, I pray, endurance also will be built in, Lord. We'll be able to endure what's happening and what's coming. The power of your life that is released in us each day. We stand here, wherever your children are seated, in their homes, wherever they are, Lord. We all Stand by faith alone. We put our trust in you and you alone, O God. And we magnify, we lift your word above everything. Our imagination, our thoughts, systems created by man, governments, powers, principalities, everything. We lift your word. And doesn't matter how long we may have practiced something. If today your spirit shows from your word that it is contrary to your truth, we I pray in your strength, will pull it down and reject it. Doesn't matter how much we were yoked to it and how much we loved it, we will put it away, Lord. Ultimately, your word and your word alone will stand. For your word says, heaven and earth will pass away. Not a dot, a tittle from your word. So help us to stand, Father, and demolish every imagination, every argument, everything that raises itself above the knowledge of God. And bring every thought to the captivity of Christ Jesus. To the obedience of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We come at this time into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. All the dear ones who are listening, a lot of new brethren, who are listening and to all the others, please don't misunderstand our messages as messages of salvation. These are messages, most of it what you hear, are messages about overcoming. So don't hear the morning message or the evening message and wonder, oh my gosh, this is not true about me, so I am not saved. No, that's not what the message is about. The messages we preach are primarily to those who are saved and how to overcome. So don't confuse one with the other. This is about overcoming. Salvation is simple if you believe only in Jesus and his work. It is complicated and difficult and impossible if you believe in anything other than Jesus. Or try to believe Jesus and something. Because God will not share his glory with anything or anybody. Only Jesus and Jesus alone. Only the work of Jesus and not any work of ours. Even the work involved in repentance is basically getting rid of our faith in our works. And faith in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross and the work the Spirit did 
when he raised him from the dead. That's salvation. And it's so simple, like Jesus showed us the, the day he was crucified, a notorious robber, a thief who deserved to be crucified, in an instant is saved. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Nobody would ever give him a chance. But he turns to Jesus, believes in Jesus, God opens his eyes, he sees a king and a kingdom, and when he confesses, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom, Jesus gets him in. That's how simple it is if you believe in Jesus and his work alone. But it is very, very complicated and impossible if you add something else. But once you are saved, remember, we are in a race. We are not competing with one another. We are just competing ourselves in the track marked by God to overcome. The reason is Revelation 21 and verse 7. Yes, Peter, Revelation 21 and verse 7. Even though there are three people, I'll still watch your eyes, okay? <laughs> he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Okay, three things are mentioned over there, but remember, it's he who overcomes. So overcoming is, it's, an, it's not an option. God says overcome. So those who overcomes will inherit all things, all things. Second, he will experience God in a different way. I will be his God in a very different way. Third, he will experience the fatherhood of God in a completely different level. I, he shall be my son. Okay, three different levels of experience. So all this is connected with overcoming the messages. You have to get that in your mind. If you're not interested in overcoming, then the listening and applying becomes very tedious. Okay, it's like classroom. Children who are not interested are than just passing. You talk to them about excellence and career opportunities. They are not interested. They've been sent there by their parents and they're forced to sit over there. They're just, their mind is always at that final bell. How to get escape to the football ground. The mind is there. And a lot of people when they come to church become like that and also it's got to do with the pastors because then they make it comfortable for them, give them a 10 minute, 20 minute soothing thing and release them to the football ground. Okay, so, but the Bible does not let us off like that. Okay, so what do I have to overcome? I'm just setting the simple premises and then we go back to the, the main core of today's. What is that we have to overcome? You see, I'll put myself as an example. When I was born of my parents, my dad, mom, I was birthed. I was born in the Adamic fallen nature, all of us. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. That's what the Bible says, and that is true. That Adamic fallen nature came into everybody. And how did Adam fall? Because he disobeyed God's command and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in me is good and evil. Good and evil, both is there. And now I am born of God in the inner man's spirit. Now the battle is... Good has to overcome evil. Primarily at the core of it, yes, flesh, world, devil and all. But at the end result is that good has overcome. Good has overcome. Okay, good has. Every battle is to see that evil doesn't overcome. If you turn to Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, okay, it's a constant battle, okay, ultimately. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because evil is in me. 
Okay, evil is within me and I have to overcome. And every day you realize. And that's when the ministry of the word, the Holy Spirit, will show hidden evil in us which we didn't even know it was there. And we're very comfortable with it. So this daily ministry of the Holy Spirit in our personal devotions or to the ministry of the word is to show us the evil that is hidden. Hidden, right? It is hidden. It's like uh, CV19 could have come and gone and people would have just died without any of these panics and nobody would have known it until somebody found it and put it out there. COVID-19 gave it a name also. Though we are dying in 20, people are dying in 20, it is named in 19 when it was discovered. Okay? So, but if somebody had not seen it, nobody would have even realized Nobody would have even realized. So in the same way, there are so many things in us we don't even see. And we are very comfortable with it because we are not allowing ourselves to be open to the ministry of the word by the Holy Spirit. It's not reading. It's surrendering before the Spirit of God, Lord, show me. Otherwise, the word of God doesn't cleanse you. The word of God becomes your enemy. You dislike the word like children dislike water, I said yesterday. So that's why I said the battle is here. Primarily the battle is in your mind. This is where you have to win it. The battle is there in the mind. And if you don't win it, no, we saw that yesterday, the power of deception. What is deception? It's not knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. It's like wipe everybody panicking and what is the whole thing that is happening? Simply because nobody knows anything about COVID-19. Till today, nobody has died of COVID-19. Nobody has died of COVID-19. Has they certified this one died because this virus killed him? No. This virus related, this thing ended. Let them say COVID-19 alone killed this person. How did it kill this person? Nobody knows. Still nobody knows. So there is a lot of junk that is happening. But we remember that. Leave COVID-19. It can only affect your body. The worst virus is that affects your mind. And you don't realize. Once radio, television, internet came in. The virus has been put into minds. Our minds have been programmed. It's basically programming. It's been programmed with virus. And unbelief has come so much. The airwaves is filled with spiritual viruses that we don't believe. Even if we hear, we are not able to see. That's what I'm saying. We see the gospel has reached to the ends of the world. But <laughs> unbelief has only increased. The number of unbelievers are only increased. It's not more. It's not less. It is more if you look at the world population. So this is where the battle is fought. And look at what in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Look at the thing that actually destroys. And God is saying, my people are destroyed (laughs) for lack of knowledge. He said they are not destroyed by anything else. It is lack of knowledge. Why do people die? Because they did not know God. Why do people die? I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about the other spiritual death. Why do people die? Because they do not know God. Lack of knowledge of God. My people have destroyed for lack of knowledge of God. Okay. Remember Peter's last words? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. That is life. No? 318. No? 
but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in that knowledge first. Get that right knowledge, get into that life, salvation and grow. Okay. And the problem is, Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 28. Okay, let's, let's analyze a little. Okay, Luke, Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 28. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal? Only the Holy Spirit can write like this through a man. It's not asked him a doubt, but he tested him. So everything he's testing. Okay, and the Spirit knows what the question is. It's a real, 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 real doubt, serious doubt. Or whether it is a trick question test. A certain lawyer stood up and asked, uh, yeah, 25. Lord, how do I? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered. Okay, he, he had a good grip over the scripture. He said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? And his reading was fantastic. You have to give him, give him the thumbs up. Okay, fantastic reading. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, You have answered rightly. You got it. You under- Do it. Do this and you will love. He says, All you have to do is, You got the answer, now do it. It's not that you know it in your head. Now live it out. And you're fulfilling the law. You're not keeping the law in the letter, but you're fulfilling the law and you understand it. Now let's go back to verse 27. Okay, verse 21. So look at his answer, which Jesus said is a right answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We understand that. With all our devotion. Right. Concentrate. With all your soul, that also we understand, kind of. With all your strength, feelings, emotions, everything. And then he says, with all your mind. With all your mind. It's the only place where he says this. With all your mind. And it's important. Very important. Because you know what? I'll tell you. Let us say a Christian, he, he or she claims, I love God. Or he or she claims, I believe in God. But the question is, do you know him whom you claim you love and believe? So what do you, we have actually, what has happened in this last century, in the last 40, 50 days? We have a very shallow, feel-good Christianity where people hardly know God or interested in knowing God. How can you love God with all your mind when your mind hardly has any knowledge of God? No. Understand this fundamental issue. This is the fundamental issue with people. They love God, but they don't know the God they love. They don't know the God they love. This is the revelation of God, who God is. But if you ask them, they don't know their Bible. An average Christian who goes to church, he doesn't even know how many books are there in the Bible. He hardly knows his Bible. Then how do you love God with all your mind? 
How do you love God with all your mind? That's the question. So this is the issue of overcoming. Yes, when you come as a baby, when you get saved, you don't have to know everything. You have to know one thing. Oh my gosh, this is what Jesus did for me. All my knowledge is false. This is the true knowledge. God so loved me, he sent his son, he lived this life sinless, he died on the cross for me, and he rose from the dead, and this is the truth. And I repent from all my sins and everything that I have done. I'm not putting my trust in my good works, my religious works, nothing. I'm putting my trust in you alone. And I'm saved. That's what the Bible says. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 and 42, that's all they asked them in the beginning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent and believe and you shall be saved. And scripture says, those who gladly received his word were baptized. Okay, they died. It's a symbol of them dying to this world, to themselves, everything, rising up with Christ, the new resurrection. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And after that, see that, they continued steadfastly. That's the first thing they did in the apostles' doctrine. Why? So that they could love him with all their mind. The teaching is for the mind. Teaching. How do I love somebody I do not know? How do I love somebody whom I do not know? That was where they teach. What were the apostles teaching? The teaching, the apostles were teaching about God and the kingdom of God. This is who God is. These are the ways of God. Understand the person who loves you and know him who has become your father. Know him who will one day become your spouse. Know him. This is who he is. This is the way his kingdom operates. Uh, we can call his kingdom as his house. This is how his house functions. Okay, house functions. And this is the way his ways are. That is the teaching that is going on. Okay, and that's why we looked at yesterday in Romans 12 too. The renewal of the mind has to take place. The mind is putting away all the things it has received. And it is receiving now. Do not be confirmed to this world. That's also got to do with the mind, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Why? Because you want to love God with your mind too. You need to understand, you want to please God. So without faith it is impossible to please God. And there is only one way I can please God by by doing His will. So they are all interconnected. They were very simple people, very daily workers, okay, very simple people, but they were, scripture says, they were steadfast to the teaching of the doctrine. Other translations use, they will, they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine and what they were teaching. And therefore they grew very fast. They knew God, they understood God's ways, and they received God's power, they learned to Live by faith, therefore God could live through them. Okay? Now, this is, this is, this is the issue. Okay, if you were to ask, uh, okay, Pastor Vijay is sitting here, so we'll use him as Bakra. Okay, I'll ask Pastor Vijay, do you love Jacinth? And he'll say yes. So I'll ask him, okay, don't answer, I'll ask him, do you know Jacinth's birthday? And he says, I think it is this day. Do you know the color of her eyes? Ah, color of her eyes. Do you know what's the, what's the color she likes? 
Ah. Uh-huh. Do you know what's the favorite food? Do you know what kind of clothes she likes? Do you know what's the kind of books she reads? Do you know what kind of music she, and if the answer to is that I'm not sure, then I'll ask him again, are you sure you love her? Okay. So it's feelings. You don't really know the person. You don't really know the person. Okay, and everybody says, oh Lord, I love you so much. God says, do you know me? Do you know what I like? If I were to be with you, like you, do you know the kind of books I would read? Do you know how my conversation would be? Do you know my ways? And this is what has happened to Christianity. Christianity has become a very sloppy, emotional relationship. All babies. Babies. And most of them sometimes are not even saved. And what happens when you are going on to the other side, it's an incredibly worldly, educated set of people who don't believe in Jesus. And these people try to cannot even talk about Jesus other than through their emotions. But that's not what happened in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. They were also simple, unlearned people. When the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They realized they had been with Jesus. Okay. This is not simple mouth hissing. These guys, they are talking. Because the entire issue of Jesus' ministry was not his miracles. It was his teaching. They were upset with his doctrine. And nobody could refute his doctrine. His doctrine. And he said, this is my doctrine. This is who my father is. And this is how the kingdom functions. Then Jesus dies. They thought it is over. Then, 50 days later, all hell breaks loose in Jerusalem. Because these guys have come up and they are threatening them. Don't teach this doctrine over here. What is scaring them is the doctrine. The doctrine is the doctrine of the kingdom of God. And this is what happened with Jesus. Because when Jesus came and Judaism was primarily divided into four groups. One group was the Pharisees. They said God is like that. Jesus said no, God is like this. Then there were the sad people, the Sadducees. They came and said, there is no resurrection, God is like that. Jesus said, no, God is like this. Then there were these zealots, called the zealots. They thought they were the most zealous. Jesus came and cleaned up the temple and said, God is not like that, God is like this. He's very zealous for his house. Then of course, they were the Herodians. Politics and power gets in together. Religion gets in together. Jesus said, that is not like that. Go tell the fox. There is no mixing of religion and politics. So he turned the tables on everybody. So every group was scared of him and hated him and he wanted him out. Right? Even Nicodemus, the Sanhedrin ruler, when he comes in the night, he begins with these words. We know God is with you. Yeah, God is with me. Jesus said very clearly, but don't try all those tricks. Unless you're born again, you will not see your enter. 
So what the truth is that so many Christians, faith is just like a bubble or a balloon, full of air. All emotions devoid of truth. The truth of the word of God, of who God is. Remember the old one we told, but fundamental, God is truth. Jesus is truth. Holy Spirit is truth. Scripture is there for all of this. The word is truth. And the church must become the truth. The pillar and the foundation of the truth. So it cannot be air. It has to be solid that you grow in your understanding of God. And then when we looked at Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, what is that God says? Perish because of my people are destroyed for lack of my people are destroyed. The devil comes to steal, to kill. Destruction is the final stage. Final stage. You know, when they fought in those days, even in the accounts in Kings and Chronicles and all, you will see this account, what happens. When they are destroying something, they are, first they will put everything to death. After that, they will be told to throw stones into the fields and shut up all the watering. All that is complete destruction. It's not just killing. It's not just killing. Nothing of life should ever come back from that place. The Bible says, my people are destroyed. Not just the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. The danger of not pursuing the knowledge of God, who God is, will get destroyed. And that's what God is talking about. Because salvation is just the basic start in John chapter 1 and 12, KJV, if I can have KJV, John 1, 12, KJV, if I can have King James Version, instead of NKJV, because I like that a little. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. So we believe in the name of Jesus alone. There is no other name. Bible is absolutely clear. Given under the heavens for salvation. We believe in his work and we believe in his name. And what does he give them? He gives them the power to become the sons of God. We have to become the sons of God. Power is given now. We are born again and we have to keep growing and become. And if you become that sons of God, Rios, God says, he who overcomes inheritance all and I will be his God and he shall be my son. So power is given. Power is given. But we get distracted and we get diverted. Because that's what the enemy does. God has given you and you are born again. You have been, been become power to become the sons of God or the daughters of God. Distraction and diversion. That's why we saw in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, right from the beginning, they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. That's what made that church age different. At least for the first 20, 30 years maybe. They were steadfast. In the apostles' doctrine. We know this, but for those who are hearing it for the first time, remember, apostles' teaching, that's not enough. That is teaching. And the second thing it says is fellowship. Fellowship is what proves whether your teaching is right or wrong. That's what proves. You received a teaching. Now you have to live it out as a community. 
and it is in the practical about it that you understand, okay, the teaching has not become life yet. For the teaching to become life, there is a process in which you have to get. So it was just like that in my, especially 11 and 12, we used to call it pre-degree. That's when we had lab for physics, chemistry and biology. Sitting in the lecture room and hearing was one thing. When you went to the lab, no, the same thing you heard when you tried to put it. That's that one thing which was called, what is called vernier calipers. Apart to get that, I hated like all this stuff. I was an English tuned guy, you know. An English tuned guy trying to get this adjustment was like, no. But it sounded so easy, a theory. Classroom, it was so theory. Now we are trying to make these adjustments and nothing seems to be coming. Oh, sitting and listening to the word of God is so nice. God says, put it into practice. And that's where, and that is why people avoid fellowship. Or wherever fellowship is very good, you can remember there is no word there. (laughs) Because fellowship is common. Fellowship is common. I have said this earlier also, the best, honest, loving, kind fellowship happens in the bar. Everybody is drunk. Everybody is drunk. And they all put their arms, sing songs and go back home also together. Morning when they wake up, the same fellowship is in there. They all remember their enmity, everything and all. Okay, So fellowship is common. Everywhere there is fellowship. But this fellowship is a different thing. This is a fellowship that is in accordance with the truth you have received, the life of God, the ways of God. So that fellowship is the one that will make us into who we are. A lot of people avoid fellowship. Even husbands and wives. Let us let us go to the basic unit of what a what a church is. Our church begins at the home. A husband gets saved, a wife gets saved. Okay, so that's where it begins. Two believers living together under one roof. The fact is, is there real fellowship? Not husband and wife chit-chatter. Real fellowship according to the word of God. Can you have real fellowship? According to the word of God. Deal with issues. Like I said, most lives and churches are like this carpet. Everything is swept under the carpet. Here we haven't done it. That's what people do. And everything looks really clean until spring cleaning comes. And they roll the carpet and say, oh my gosh, so much. We didn't know so much. No, So much. That's what they do. They People cannot handle truth. So what do they do? They sweep it all under the carpet and live this shallow life. That is how shallow churches are formed. Absolutely shallow. Laodicea, absolutely shallow. Outwardly they look fantastic. But God says, there's no truth there. I am outside. Truth is outside. And that's what God is talking about. Until we deal with the word of God and the spirit of God. Deal with the word of God and the spirit of God. We do not have real fellowship. And the problem is that God has put it all together. When we do not have proper fellowship, we don't properly break the bread either. Why do you have to put the breaking of bread over there? In the, This is God's format, first spiritual format as a church. Remember, this is the most important line when the church is beginning. Acts chapter 2, 42 is the beginning of the church. 
3,000 were added and the format is placed immediately over there. 41, the church begins. 42, the format, how every church in it, in all the church history should function. Spiritual format. You adhere to apostles' doctrine, not to any man's. What the apostles have taught for us to give one from Romans 1 onwards all the way to Revelation. Let's say the whole new covenant. The breaking down of the spirit of the law is the new covenant. Stick to that. Two, how does your life change? And then in accordance to the teaching and your life, you have to judge yourself. That is Corinthians 11. The entire chapter is written about about judging. Judge Christ, him and the body. And he says, when you don't do that, even your breaking of the bread, your communion, whatever names you, Lord's Supper, communion is a fraud. It doesn't help you at all. Therefore, by Paul says, many are weak, many are sick, and many are asleep. You can take it in whichever way you want, soul or body, both. Why? Because it didn't change your mind. And it didn't become part of your life. And then when you come to the fourth one, that community that comes through these first three process, they have become what? A symphony. They become a symphony. And now, they are praying. And God's power is flowing through the apostles. Who are the pastors then? If you look at verse 43 and 44. And fear came upon every soul. That's interesting. What comes in immediately? But nobody even understands this. Fear comes upon every soul. Because there is this entire teaching in the New Covenant age in so many churches that the fear of God is something that is of the Old Testament. Now we don't fear. But the first sign that came when a church has come together with apostle doctrine and fellowship and and judgment and prayer is the fear of God comes. What has happened? They have come through cleansed. They are becoming a glorious, spotless, blemishless church. So the fear of God is coming upon them. Because what did God say? The fear of God will keep you from sinning. So you have become sinless in this particular area so far. Now what I will do? I will protect your state. That you don't sin again in that area. Are you getting it? Yes. There's no point bolting the door after the thief has gotten. First, the thief has to be kicked out. And then you put the security. That's what God is saying. Okay? You have, you're coming through my process, my church. You're clean. You're clean. And every time they are clean, more fear comes in because you don't go back to that drought again. The fear of God shall come. That's what Moses told in Exodus 20. Do not be afraid. The Lord God has come to test you that his fear may be upon you that you do not sin against him. Please understand this balance concept, the love of God and the fear of God. It is the fear of God that keeps me from sinning. It is the love of God that keeps me from serving him. One is negative, one is positive, but both are needed. Fear of God, I will not sin against him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is the keeping part. The other is the not keeping part. Don't do this. But the love causes me to do this. And we need both. We need both. And this is where the understanding comes. And this is where we have to always see that if the life of Christ is being transmitted into our lives through the ministry of the word and the spirit, what starts coming is this. And what happened? Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. 
Here the power of God is also flowing, unrestricted. So a format is given for every church. Go this way. This is, this is. And keep growing in this. Keep growing. This is the church. This is to what the church has to come back. Whenever we stray from this, we have to come back. Otherwise, what we are not facing is not the salvation of our souls, but we get deceived and keep going back, back, back. We are facing the destruction of our souls. Little by little by little by deception gets in, gets in. And I mean, if we could put our mind on a screen and you can see like viruses, bacteria eating our mind. Take a mind which is all this thing and the virus is slowly eating it away. Meaning deception has taken care, taken over, taken over, taken over. It's killing our soul. And people don't even realize don't even realize. So God says, protect, protect, protect. So all these pictures are there when we study the Bible. So the pictures are there in the Old Testament. That's why the Old Testament is so important in the study of the New Testament. Okay. That is where Old Testament is practical. New Testament is theory. Okay. So you learn the theory and you go to the Old Testament and God will show you patterns. So did you see that? Yeah. Okay. Now I understand it better. Once you have done the practical in the lab, theory is very easy. You got it. You got it. You got it. And the only thing I liked about the chemistry lab was after that to buy glycerin and potassium permanganate. And use cotton, put it together, you know it will boom, boom. You love, you love. It has never gone out of my head. Every other thing of chemistry I have forgotten. This one fact, because I used to bring it, you could get it easily in the medical store. My grandfather used to keep glycerin over there. So this was what I used to do in behind my house. Put it together with cotton and pour it and you can see. No, that was when theory had become practical. Okay, that's why we need practical, so that we study these things and we look at it and then we look and put it into our lives, it becomes life. Okay, so there are a lot of stuff which we know and we need to just learn and not be afraid. Let me just as an aside to, so that it will interest you, not that the word of God can stand on its own whether it interests you or not, but like, no. Let me tell you a truth about rapture. If rapture is a truth, I believe it's a truth, not 100% sure, because when it comes to eschatology, I will not put stick my foot out. I will only say be prepared. Let me tell you about rapture. In truth, rapture will matter to only one generation. Though for 2,000 years, every generation was preparing, it can happen only to one generation. Got it? It cannot happen to two generations. It can only happen to one generation. So every generation prepared, but before us, in every generation, it never happened. They died without it happening. Okay? But it can happen only to one generation. And every generation from the time of the apostles waited for it. And Paul also was hoping for rapture, if you read Thessalonians. But by the time he comes to Timothy, he realizes it's not going to happen. I am going the way of man. I will die. Rapture is not for my generation. But nobody was sure. So you have a picture. 
of that in the old covenant. Who is that? Enoch. Enoch, seventh from Adam. Seven we know is the picture of perfection. Okay? And he is taken alive. He is taken alive. So we have a picture of that over there. The Bible talks about those who came through tribulation. Okay? Picture of judgment. They came through tribulation, washed their robes with blood. It's also. That picture also is there in the Bible. Who is that? Tenth generation Noah. He came through judgment. So both pictures are there. Picture of one going before judgment and picture of another coming through judgment. Both pictures are there. So we cannot deny these pictures. Okay. But you need to realize, if you read Bible carefully, Bible actually says both Enoch and Noah pleased God by their faith. And the Bible both says, both walked with God. But one man's walk was more perfect than the others he was taken. So the walk was not the same. Though both walked with God. Enoch's walk with God caused him to be taken alive. That's how I read it. The other guy walked for 365 years with God. So, symbolically, God knowing in the last days when it happens, a year will have 365 days. All those people who have learned to walk with God every day of our life, if there is an eventuality called rapture, don't have to be afraid, you will be taken. Because you have reached that. Perfection. Okay, and that's an individual thing. So, when we read scripture, when we listen to the word, whichever way it is, there has to be a total 180 degree turn. Like that 3000 people who got added on the first day did it on Pentecost. They did a complete turn and they were steadfast about it. Okay, steadfast about it. When you talk about a complete turn, a complete decision, it is not so much got to do with your heart or your mind or emotions. It is actually got to do with your will. There is one part of you, which is the ultimately the most important part, which is your will. And that is what you see right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to turn. You shall not eat. If you eat, you will die. That means you have the option. Your will is there. Your will is there. And the will is the important part. And using our will, we are making so many different choices. And we don't realize our will is coming into play everywhere. Jesus had this statement to make in John chapter 7. And verse 17, the most important part, your will will play in the salvation of your soul. If anyone wills to do his will, he's not saying anyone understands first. No. Anyone loves me. So he's not talking about that too. So all that is secondary. First, if you will, that is called surrender. If you will. What will you have me do? Go to the city. It will be told you. After that, he understood everything. And he loved God with all his heart. That is all of Tarsus. But when he bent his knee, he did not understand anything. He did not know anything. Nor did he love God with all his heart. Because he didn't even know this God. The first thing he did is, 
he willed to do his will. He says, what will you have me do? God said, go to the city. Simple thing. Go to the city, it will be told you. And he obeyed that perfectly. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own. He says, you want to understand doctrine? You want to understand the mind of God? You want to understand how God thinks? How God speaks? How God does things? What his ways are? He says, this is the key. And if we don't understand the word of God, and we get bored by the word of God, and we struggle with the word of God, God says, it's got nothing to do with your brains. Because the people in the first century who did not have your brains, you are much smarter than any one of them. You got such incredible language skills and education and degrees and qualifications and the Bible in English. With multiple translations available. You got Google and you got Bible Gateway and you got Bible Hub. You got it all. You can put 15 different translations and keep. You can do all of it. But you still will not understand if you have not will to do his will. They did not have any of these things. They did. None of them even had a copy of the Bible. Nobody had a copy of the Bible. I don't think even Peter and John, when they stood up to preach, had a copy of the Bible. They had it in them. What Jesus had taught them, transposed into their minds by the Spirit of God, and they're standing there and teaching the doctrine of the kingdom of God. And people are they're not taking notes. Nobody has a book. Nobody has a pen. None of these things which are like common for us, forget it, a luxury, it is not even possible for the common man to have these things over there. There's no paper, no pen. It's all scrolls. And yet, that was a church who understood the will of God. They understood the will of God. You know why? Because they made one step, which was the most important step. That is, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. And this is the step where everybody struggles. Everybody struggles there. Here is the key. This is the key to spiritual success. Lord, I will do your will. Unconditional. None of us will have to pay a price like Saul of Tarsus had paid for that one statement he made, which he meant from his heart. And his entire life changed completely. Everything was turned around for him because of one thing that he made. So don't forget, this is the key. So don't forget when we are listening, what am I listening the word of God for? We heard yesterday, what is God preparing? The primary purpose of salvation. He's just saving souls was the only thing. He would have simply saved everybody. No, he's preparing a bride for his son. That is the whole thing. A set of people who will be exactly like him. The end of salvation will be like him. In nature. The end of A bride. A spotless bride. Without blemish. That is his entire purpose through it all. For that, he comes to us and we go to him. And First Thessalonians 5, 23, 24 is very clear. We have seen this before, but we will look at it because that's how it should change our way. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You go to him, he will do it. Both sides are there. We go to him, he comes to us. And he will keep on teaching us how to do that. 
Okay, so this is the whole purpose of the study of the word of God. Others do not. And you cannot, you cannot go by the reaction of the congregation to the teaching of the word of God. You have to go to the teaching of God by the reaction of the father. Because the father is saying that, you know what, I am preparing a bride for my son. The Holy Spirit is saying, you don't worry about the people, you yourself do not know whether you are part of it. You don't know how many are there. No, one man may have a ministry where his message is only heard by 200 people. Another man may have a ministry where his message is heard by 2 million people. The 2 billion people, man may have 2 people who is preparing to be the bride. The man with 150 may have 15 who are listening. Now they tell me whose ministry is successful. That is how you have to look. Okay, could we say we have with our company 250? Moses says I have two. Who was successful? These all went down. These two went across. Okay, so we cannot look at that. We have to look at God's purpose. That is His purpose, and we cannot change God's purpose. God's purpose is a bride for His Son. Paul will say, pure and as a chaste virgin, with simple and pure devotion towards a husband. And all that we looked at yesterday. So let us go to the picture. The most beautiful picture in the Bible is the father of faith looking for a wife for his son. Okay, Genesis, we'll go there, okay. Now let me set the basis for all our new young believers and I, you know, I, sometimes I envy you, you new ones, because you have started so well. <laughs> because they say in English, a good start is half the trouble is over. A lot of us did not have a good start because we had nobody to teach us, we had no mentors, we had no church to go to, so we didn't start well. But all these new ones in this last 30 days who have joined, they got a fantastic start. Don't look at your baggage of your past, that's all under the blood. Start well, run well. So we have this picture of the father of faith. And he had his son, the promised seed, when he was 100 years old. His wife was 90 then. Okay. 100 is a symbol of completeness. And when he's complete, God gives him a son called Isaac, who laughs. Okay. Not who cries, who laughs. First son of the flesh is, he rebels. Second son, which is of the spirit is, he laughs. His wife is 90 then. And we know, she dies at 127. Sarah dies at 127. Abraham is 137 then. And Isaac is 37. Mother dies. Waits for three more years after the death of his mother. Three more years. Okay, right? Well, three is the number for so many deaths. Three years he waits. Why? Because he should not marry somebody because he's so attached to his mother. The Bible will say he was comforted now after three years after the death of his mother. You can get married for the wrong reason. Yeah, three years is given. Three years later, the search for a bride begins. Okay. Now let's look at this boy so that we get the type is very, very clear. These are all types. They are not 100% perfect types. They are all shadow. Substance is Christ. Please remember before that, Isaac had gone up with his father up the hill. It's a type of Jesus with Abraham being type of God, the father. 
when he came down, Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, when he came down, he's a type of the glorified Jesus who came down after his death. When he came down, he had actually gone through a spiritual death. Okay, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is to us said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Okay, so Abraham is the father, typing God the father, Isaac is the son, type of Jesus Christ, they go up there, he's put over there, and he really dies. The boy had no clue, he thought, I am gone, I am finished. So he literally, when he surrendered to the will of his father, allowed himself to be tied, the knife was lifted, he really died. He really died. They really died, no? Because no, neither the nobody he did not expect the voice to come and stop. So literally you died. Okay, though in the physical sense you did not die. Here you have already passed the death. It is like the little child, little boy who was uh, who was uh, had a serious illness and did blood transfusion and found his little sister is the only one with the matching blood. So uh, daddy mummy told her, she said, okay, okay, for my brother I will give. And she didn't understand the whole thing the way nobody explained to her what it was. So while the blood transfusion is going on, she's sitting there and looking at father. Then as it going on, uh, she looked at her mother and father and said, so when will I die? She didn't realize this blood transfusion. She thought she was going to die. And she was willing to die for her brother. Okay. And she did not realize that is not because nobody explained to her by giving blood, you don't die. It's a little child, little girl. Okay, so that's Isaac on the altar. He did not know he was not going to die. Okay, so he's a type of Jesus Christ. So when Isaac comes down, it is the glorified Jesus Christ type of that who comes down. So now for Isaac, Abraham is taking a wife. So it is a type of the bride, the glorified Jesus will have. Okay, it's not the type of wife Isaac would have had before going to the mountain. Okay, after he came down. So we'll go to Genesis chapter 24. Okay, and we will see 24. Verses 1 onwards. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his Old, well advanced, everything means he's only... How many years he is? He dies as 175. Okay, so minus 40 from that. 100? No. Uh, 140. He's just 140 years. Simple. Okay, so when he says advanced, he will still live for another 35 years. He's not going to die easily. He's old man. Okay, and he'll fill father another 8 children. Okay. okay. So you see here, Okay, so we'll leave the first thing. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had. That is Eliezer. We know from Genesis 15, his name is Eliezer. Okay? Please understand. He's a type of the Holy Spirit who rules over all that Father God has. He's the one who rules over. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is 
But he is the Lord that is ruling over. That's why the Spirit of God is hovering over everything. He is the one who rules over everything the Father owns. The Father is there, the Son is there, the Holy Spirit is the one through whom they rule. Okay, He is the one who is ruling over everything that he had. Then by their custom he says, please put your hand under my thigh and make this vow. Okay, yeah, let's go to verse 3. So the Holy Spirit, see it in your mind's eye, the Holy Spirit is being, is going to look for a bride for Jesus Christ. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not. First is a negative, then the positive. That is a negative. You will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. First is a negative. That's first thing church has to understand. Thou shall not pick a daughter of the Canaanite. Okay? I wanna, I don't wanna get into the nitty gritties of it because it's slightly messy, but a Canaanite means a merchant or a trafficker. Okay, it's a merchant or a trafficker. If you go to Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 21, 14 and 21. When the kingdom age comes, yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of God. Pot meaning actually here means person. Every, everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. No Canaanite will be, no trafficker will be there. No trafficker, no merchant. Okay. We remember from when Babylon is destroyed, do you remember? Trafficker of souls. Okay? Bodies and souls of men. Understand symbols in which God uses. God uses terms like Babylon, uses terms like Egypt, he uses terms like uh, Jericho. And this all means, let's, let's look, understand, because when we read these people, you know, is he talking about modern day Egypt? No. These are all spiritual terms. Okay, Egypt, Isaiah 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So understand what Egypt represents. Egypt represents this world's system. And when believers put their trust in the world system, God says, woe to you. You don't rely on my spirit and you're waiting for government subsidy. Woe to you. You didn't come to me. Remember how second kings begin? The king had fallen from the lattice and he sends words and God says, and they say, is there not a prophet in the house of God that you go to these fellows? So every time we need to realize God is always checking when we have issues. Is our first resort prayer or people? He says, what to you? Why didn't you come to me first? Why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you come to me first? Why did you go to man? No. So understand, before we go out the ambit of the church, which is the house of God into the world, be very careful. I've gone to God first. God's people first, if you're a young, weak believer, and not run into the world. That's what Egypt symbolizes. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Why? You look at the world, you look at the government, oh yes, they have so many horses. 
or trust in chariots because there are many and all that. But our trust is in the Lord. So understand what Egypt means. So when there was Sam in scripture, we'll say Abraham went down to Egypt. Okay. Going into the world is for a believer is always going down. Okay. Going down. So when a believer goes to Egypt, he should be taken by the spirit of God. So Joseph was taken. May look like Ishmaelites, but it's the Holy Spirit who's taking him to Egypt. Abraham went down. Joseph was taken. Okay, then you are safe. Then if you go to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, so that I will put these three pictures together, different terms the Bible uses. Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his younger he shall set up its gates. Okay, so when they are entering into the promised land, the first thing that stops them is Jericho. Okay, And Jericho is the stronghold you have to break in your life first. It is the stronghold of unbelief. That God doesn't mean what he says and he doesn't say what he means. You have to break. That is why breaking of Jericho is different from all their battles. They had said, how will you break this stronghold? By faith and by keeping quiet. Don't open your mouth and speak against the word of God. Because unbelief is always spoken. Unbelief, okay, so, and once that is, because Jericho will not allow anybody to go out or let anybody come in, okay, and they are blocked, and once it is down, God says, burn it, everything, only the devoted things be kept for, and you will realize, this is also where Israel faces their first defeat, because in their midst, there was one man who did not believe what God said. Their defeat, the next battle in I, is not because of I. They were defeated by Jericho. They were not defeated by I. I was nothing. They were defeated by Jericho. That stronghold that was operating over Jericho, that unbelief that was operating over Jericho, came into the camp. And that caused the defeat. Unbelief will always cause you defeat. Because God will not allow. And the first generation was completely destroyed in the desert because of unbelief. So God says, so understand terms in which God uses, do not rebuild Jericho, fight unbelief, unbelief every day of your life. And then of course you have Babylon, Babylon is what starts after the flood, you have Babylon, it is a one system, one world government where three things will come together, the religious, the uh, commercial, the economic and the political. They will all come together. So to have the religious come together, you will have to have a one world religious order. That's why you will see this economic world council of churches and trying to get all religious leaders together. And you know who is heading it. You have to have it where all of them agree to one format of a religion and you have a head for it. And we know where it is happening. And because it is religion, and religion and church is kind of connect, always connected, that is why in the Revelation picture it is called a woman. Woman riding a beast. Woman riding a beast. Okay? So that is the religious system riding the political system. The political system doesn't like the woman, the religious system. But then they get a 
chance you will see the political system will destroy her completely at the end. That's what happened in communist regimes. The political system, once they know they can have, have power without the religious system, they will tear you apart. Tear you apart. Every place, otherwise in every other nation, every other country, the political system uses the religious system to come to power. So it doesn't matter whether you never went to church all your life and you're the most anti-Christian in your values and your abortion values and everything, but when election time comes, they're all believers. They're all Christians. Understand? Because they know you cannot come into power without the religious system. Even here, there are no, everyone is religious. Every political leader is religious because the religious system and the political system goes together. The woman riding the beast. But remember, the beast, the woman thinks she's using the beast. She doesn't realize the beast is using her. And the head of that in the last days, the one world religion will come, one world government will come. Okay, and the Bible, you read the book of Revelation, it says the woman sits on a city with seven hills, and it is not Tirupati. The woman who sits on the city with seven hills. Okay, so we don't have to get into it. Everybody knows which is a city with seven hills. This is written in God's word, so nobody can contradict it. It was said then itself, the woman will sit on the city with seven hills. And then you will have this economic system. These, the three were together. The religious system, the political system, and the economic. These are huge multi-billionaires. If you not notice, the whole world wealth is owned by a few men, a few people. And they control the system from behind. The political leaders, they're all together. That's when Babylon is destroyed. They're all, the merchants are all crying. Merchants are crying. It's one system. So you will see in Revelation 17, the woman is destroyed. Yeah, we don't have to go there. The religious system. Revelation 18, Babylon is destroyed. And then Revelation 19, Jesus comes and destroys the political system. And 20, judgment begins. Satan is locked up for a thousand years. And then Jesus rules. Political system is his system comes in. The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ. He rules for a thousand years with his, with his, uh, okay. So please understand, we have to, when we read the book of Revelation, you have to, people all get confused, but you have to read it very, very carefully because, uh, because a lot of things are not very clear. Because these are spiritual realities which we don't understand. Which we don't understand. Okay, because, uh, the new earth, will not be like this earth at all. Because this earth is gone, disappeared. Gone, disappeared. We don't, because scripture says in Revelation 21, I saw New Jerusalem dressed like a bride coming down from heaven. So where was it coming down to? Nobody is sure, okay? Nobody is sure. These are, these are presumptions. One of the presumptions I can give you is, look, this as the new earth. Not the old earth, the new earth, where there is no sea at all. Even if it were to come new Jerusalem, its measurements are very clear. 2,400 kilometers wide and 2,000 kilometers. So you know it's a And the diameter of the earth is around 12,500 kilometers. So if it is coming down, it is coming down to the middle of the earth. 
may be suspended in midair because nobody, everybody can fly, new bodies, everything is over there. It's coming up there. And the whole earth and heavens is radiated by the glory of the city. Everything is mentioned over there. So we can just imagine for fun's sake. Nobody knows. And you don't get penalized for imagining those things, okay? God doesn't. How dare you imagine about my city? He said, keep on imagining, it will be better than what you think. But I will, <laughs> but I will tell you something. Even this earth, no? Look, all the centuries, all the believers, everybody put together and all billions and billions of people, you think about it, no? This earth, 75% of the earth is covered by water, by sea. In the new earth, there is no sea. Understand, there's no pro- problem with land or area or population, nothing in those days. With that 25%, Jesus will show how everybody can live for thousand years. So when eternity begins, so you look at all this, you get excited. Okay, like, hey, okay, cool, cool, what is coming over here? Okay, all God has planned it all out. So we don't have to worry about it. Our job is to become that bride. No? So, first thing he says is the negative. You shall not take a Canaanite. Cannot take a Canaanite. Much of the world is full of Canaanites. What do Canaanites do? They sell souls of men. What do they do? They traffic in the souls of men. And much of the pulpits are also full of Canaanites. What are they doing? Selling and buying the souls of men with false gospel. Canaanites are behind much of their entire mortality, I'm not talking about the godly ones who have been there for so many, so many are there. Godly people are there. Charles Stanley or David Wilkinson or Carter Collin or even John MacArthur. John MacArthur is a very godly man. Only when he talks about the Holy Spirit, don't listen because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because he hasn't experienced it. I've read his books, Charismatic Chaos, and I've listened to some of his criticism is just also. Some of the, sometimes you have to listen from the other side to know what is wrong with you. Because we don't see it. But otherwise, he's a good teacher. Incredible. They're all people who are righteous who have kept their testimonies. You have to look at their life all these years. They have kept in, they have not wavered in their doctrine and all. We are not talking about that. We are talking about an entire crop of people who have risen. And who are they all? Traffickers of men. They have neither been with Jesus, nor they have been with the word of God. Okay? They neither been with Jesus. Either you need to be with Jesus, or you need to be with the Word of God. Both. Like the largest, I'm not naming him, the largest church supposedly in the U.S., the pastor. He's got, he did not even get a degree. He dropped out from the university in television and this thing. He doesn't even have a Bible college degree, nor does he know his Bible. What does he have? A course he did not complete in film and television. Most of the people who watch, watch him. Watch him. Telling about. Either you need to know your Bible or you need to go to Bible college and get to know your Bible. When you don't have either, and if he is the most popular pastor in the world, it's a judgment on us and our age, how shallow Christianity has become. A people who do not know their God. People who do not know their God. And what are they all? They're all traffickers of men. Lord of number traffickers. 
You know what you are? You are not telling them the truth. Because you know if you tell them the truth, the crowd will go down. Your money will go down. All your settings will go down. You have to keep on telling them how good God is. You know, God is good. God loves you so much. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. You're all going to make it. You're all going. They never tell you the truth. They don't talk about the severity of God. They only show half face, half the side of God only. And the problem is when you show the half the side of God and don't show the other side at all, then your side is absolutely false. It's a misrepresentation of God. You can't say, but what I show is all truth. Yes, but you are not showing the whole truth. You are only showing one side of the truth which suits you. You are not showing the other side because it does not suit you. Jesus came and showed both sides. He said, this is what my father is, not what they are talking about. It's loving, he kind, even the word sinner can come through and make it, but he also tells them, what you, Korazin, what you, if you do not repent, you too will perish like that. He talked about heaven, he talked about hell. He did not change to try to please anybody. No, this is the problem. This is the problem. And this is what happens. And the first thing Abraham tells Eliezer, the chief servant, do not bring a Canaanite. What does he say? You will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Daughters of the Canaanites. Remember when you go to Revelation 17, you will see Babylon and her daughters. Okay, so what is God telling us? God is telling that you see what? My son's bride will not be from the churches which have sold the souls of their people. It will not come from those. It is not possible to come from them. It is not possible. A Canaanite church cannot breed the bride of Christ. It's impossible, he says. Any church that is teaching about money and prosperity is actually activating covetousness in the lives of their people. That cannot produce a bride cannot produce a bride. You have to be very balanced about it. Is there prosperity in the Bible? Yes, but be very balanced, not at the cost of the prosperity of your soul. And if it affects the prosperity of your soul, you will get rid of all this stuff because you put a premium on your soul. So no Canaanite church can breed the bride. So one of the things you need to ask God is that the church in Amai, is it a Canaanite church? Is it forever talking about money, 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 give, you will get, give, you will get, give, you will get. This is God's will for you. Definitely it's a Canaanite church. But that's what Canaan is all about. It's a trafficker, it's a merchant. The first thing he says is, you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Where is the church? Church is in the middle of all the Canaanites. But you shall go to my country and to my family, and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Where shall I go? We shall go to my country, to my kindred, my family. God is not going to take a bride for his son from this world. He will only take it from his people. His bride, you can be absolutely sure, is from his people. From among his own people, he will pick the bride. That also implies there are, could have been so many girls connected to that family in Haran. Only one girl is going to be picked. Not all the girls are going to be picked. 
So there could be among his churches, he will look at those who are prepared and ready, he will pick them. So our job is to prepare. Nobody, no man knows, nobody knows. From his own people. So be very, very careful about it. From his own people. So first thing we need to be very sure is I am part of his own people. I am, like I said yesterday, if Jesus Christ came according to scriptures, born according to scriptures, lived according to scriptures, died according to scriptures, and rose again according to scriptures, and will come back according to scriptures, then my spiritual birth also has to be according to scriptures. Life also has to be according to scriptures. Death also has to be according to scriptures. Resurrection also will be according to scriptures. So you cannot say that this priest said, that pastor said, which is not there in the Bible. doesn't matter who it is. The entire Protestant church worldwide, you see everything started because one Catholic priest asked this question. Rome doesn't agree with the word of God, what is being preached in the church. The entire reformation began because of one man asking a question. But the Bible says there is a righteousness that comes from God apart from the law, which is by faith alone. My just shall live by faith. But what is happening in the church is all works. It's got nothing to do with faith. It's all got to do with works. So it started from within the church itself. That was the only church then. From within the church he asked this question because he read his Bible and the Bible read him back. And that is where it all started. No. So every age God had somebody who looked into the word, had access to the word and they looked into the word and they realized the word says something, the practice is something else. Practice is something else. And the problem is people sitting in their tens and thousands in these churches have no questions because they are not reading the Bible. They are not reading their Bible. That's the issue. And here also God is very clear, among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, to my people, and take a wife for my son Isaac. So in verse 5, Eliezer has a question. The servant said to him, perhaps a woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? The question Eliezer asked. See, all these things were put over there so that we in the new covenant would have no doubts about these things. Okay. Perhaps the church is not willing to follow Jesus Christ all the way. Should we make some adjustments? Shall we? That is thoda mila do na kya re yaar. Why are you so cutter about these things? So now it is Jesus following the church instead of church following Jesus. Adjustment by then we made adjustments. So many adjustments we made it. No? So now what is happening? The church is following Jesus is following the church, not the church following Jesus Christ. That's the first question he asked. What if the woman is not willing to follow? What if the woman is not willing to follow? Should we make some adjustments? That's a question every pastor has to ask. Should I make adjustments? Because if I, if I don't make adjustments, people will leave. <laughs> the question is, why do you want people who will not follow Jesus? So what is this ministry about? About Jesus or about the people? Why do you want people who will not follow the Holy Spirit all the way to Isaac? Why would you follow, need people who will not receive the leading of the Holy Spirit and be prepared to meet Jesus? Why do you need such kind of people? 
It's a question God is asking. And it's a question's answer is right over there. Church will not follow. Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. What does God tell Eliezer? What does God tell every servant of God? That is why in Revelation, he comes and checks the seven churches. Oh, Ephesus. You are trying to make my son follow you instead of you following him. Right? You have fallen from your first love. Now you, what do you want me to do? He still loves you the same way. So now you want him to chase you. You will not chase him. You repent. I'll take my candlestick from you. Going from church to church to church to church to see if the church has followed him or the church expects him to follow the church. I have done everything for the church. I've released my spirit also. The work of my Holy Spirit is to prepare a church who will follow him to Jesus Christ. These are the questions we have to ask. Am I following Christ? Or am I asking Christ to follow me even in my prayers, my requests? Am I saying, Lord, my will be done or thy will be done? And even when I say thy will be done, do I really mean it? Am I making adjustments? As an individual, as a church, are we making adjustments? God says, you will not take my son back into the world again. Like I said, the world is not so much a place. It is a frame of mind. It's a set of ideas. So you will see all these things came in from the church. You hear about very liberation theology get into the church. It came from Latin America, from the Catholic Church. It's called liberation theology, where it is a mix of Christianity and communism. Every ism you see today is from the church. People who was trying to make the woman was not willing to follow Jesus on Jesus' terms. So they made adjustments. And you need to realize when we were growing up in college and all liberation theology had caught fire in the Catholic Church and this thing. So many people got into that. But these are ideas of the flesh. This is the ideas that came when Jesus was walking on earth. Okay, they are not listening to your message, Lord. Shall we bring down fire? That's liberation theology. Let's bring down fire and bring social equality. God says no. Jesus did not know does the Bible in the apostolic age in the canon was closed. Nobody preached any of those things. Though the Roman Empire was full of slaves and slavery, nobody spoke against slavery. Because God is saying, until man is freed of sin, everyone is a slave. I have come to set him free outside, then when I come down, I'll fit, set everybody free outside. And people get very upset by these things, but the Bible doesn't say. He says, if any man, when he is saved, is a slave, let him remain that way, is what yes. the Bible says. He says, remain that way. If, unless you can buy your freedom. Otherwise, stay that way. Don't fight about it. Because every man who is a slave is a Lord's free man. And every man who is Lord's free man is a Lord's slave. 
Entirely the picture. And nobody would expect a religion, like if it's really from God, how can he speak like that? Because he's saying, I'm not come here to make social changes. I've come to save man one at a time from inside. And then the society will change. Slavery was there from the beginning of in every nation. But it is when Christianity came in and people actually were getting their realized that, hey, this is wrong. The ones who fought and abolished slavery were also the Christians. And then it became a whole worldwide this thing. Slavery was abolished. Okay, So that's what God is talking about. Is that the way we think? That's what he's talking about. My son will not come back. He will not change anymore. He's come, done his work. You will not take him back there. Church has to be changed from the things and the ways of the world to the ways of God. Now read 1 John 2, 15 and 16 and we know that very well, but one point we will never noticed. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, it's not the love of the son. Because this is the father who told Eliezer, you will not take my son. This is the father's rules. Isaac is silent through it all. Isaac is not even making his preference known what kind of a wife he wants. He's left it entirely to the father. And the father is saying, my son will not go back. If anyone loves the world, if Eliezer tries to do any manipulation here, the love of Abraham is not in him. Getting it? Eliezer, the Holy Spirit will not do that. The love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father. It's the Father. The Father is the one who sent the Holy Spirit to find a bride for his son. And it's about the Father. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Father disapproves. And he comes and checks churches out and he disapproves. No, that church cannot be the bride of my son. That church cannot be the bride of my son. That church cannot be. The father disapproves. Like I said, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, but 1 is not missing. Disapproves. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1 is missing. No, this is disapproves. Man will look and say, but so much is matching. God says, no, you don't know the nature of my son. <laughs> my son is perfect. He needs a perfect wife. And the entire purpose of salvation is to make her perfect. Blemishless, blameless soul, spirit, spirit, soul and body. And into that race we are put. Please don't confuse this with initial salvation, brethren, okay? Go back to, go to Genesis, yeah. Do not take my son back. And verse 7. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me and swore to me saying your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Did you see that? He said my messenger will go. Angel basically means messenger. My messenger will go with you. So every preacher has to be very sure. I'm a messenger, but the messenger of God is with me. 
I'm only a representative of his work, but I'm not doing this in my own power. Somebody will accompany me when I have got the will and the desire of the Father in my heart. Somebody will accompany me. I'm not in this journey alone. When Jacob went to Haran, he went alone. When he came back Haran, there were two companies of angels following him because he's now walking in the will of God. But when he went alone, he was going alone. He done all kind of jugad and was running for his life. Still God met him and gave him a promise. But there is nothing written, angels accompanying him. When he came back, God said, you don't be feared. Did I tell you to leave? Leave. You don't have to fear. There will be two companies of angels protecting you. Okay. So servants of God, anybody who stands up, he says, don't worry. My messenger is with you. My angel is with you. You have divine protection. Here you have to, because it is all angelic there in this old covenant, you have divine protection. You have divine power. Okay. And verse 8, no compromise. Absolutely. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, no compromise. Not willing to follow, you are released. Don't worry about that. Only do not take my son back there. Twice he says that. No compromise. The woman should be from my kindred. She should be willing to forsake everything and come to my son. My son will not go to her. She should be willing to leave everything and come to my son. And that is the journey after salvation. Journey after salvation. That's what he saying. You're released from youth. Don't just because you have a ten member congregation and nine of them are not willing for the teaching, don't change it. Stick to that one. Stick to that one. Don't change. Don't ever forget the purpose of salvation is that I may have a bride for my son. Don't compromise on this thing. He will not come down. Meaning don't change him according to the whims of the people. She has to change. The church has to change according to the desire of the father. He has done his work completely. Now he has released the word and he has released the power of the Holy Spirit. The women, woman can change. The church can change and become the person the son wants. There is no compromise on this. And what has happened? The church has compromised. They even forgotten what is it all about. And everybody is waiting for rapture. The question is not even about rapture. Am I a bride fit for the son? Is the question to be asked. Forget rapture. Forget rapture. Am I following him? Or is my entire life about manipulating him? Are we manipulating him. Or am I saying, Lord, I will forsake everything and I will follow you. Change me. And you will see these patterns are right there in the beginning. An old man is telling very clearly. And he's very aged. He doesn't know when he's going to die. He doesn't know it's going to be 100 years, year 75. He doesn't know any of those. These things later only we understand. But he did not know. He's very old. <coughs> and his son, he still hasn't got him married. He's 40 years old. 40 years old. If every year of Isaac's life is a jubilee, that is 50 years, then when he is 40 years old, the world is 2,000 years old, 2,000 years of Jesus after he has risen. 40 into 50 is 2,000 years. Christ has waited until he is 40 in the spiritual realm after he is risen. There is no hurry. The son is not hurry. The father is not hurry. They are waiting for the fullness of the time for the church to be perfect.
They have set a time. This is the time that will be given. And God is saying, don't change. Don't change. And that's the questions we have to ask. That's a simple thing to, that's what I said, no? You look at the teachings and says, does that teaching fit in with godliness? Does it teach, if I follow that teaching, will I be blameless before God? Is my heart, mind, will devoted to God and His word or it has taken me divided into a fifteen hundred people? A lot of things people don't even realize. We have one scene on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured. You have Moses and Elijah coming over there, one representing the law and one representing the prophets. And when these men see them, James, John and Peter, Peter says, shall we make two tabernacles, three tabernacles over here? You know, there was a cloud that covered them in glory and the voice spoke and said, listen to my son. Even there, the father is making it very, very clear. There's only one voice you will listen to. It's the voice of my son. But today, we look up our churches and say, "Is that is? Are they listening to the voice of the son? Is he listening to the voice of the son?" And this, this should not offend people. You have to look into the word. You have to look. You have to, Lord, if if God forbid, if you die because of COVID nineteen or anything. Where will you go? First thing, are you sure about your salvation? Like when we were in the Catholic Church, there was 1500 saints. Everyone, everyone who were with it, they were all praying to one saint or another. Now let me tell you about this thing. The Bible is not even very sure about, it doesn't very clearly say what is your state after you are dead. Doesn't tell you very clearly. Let us leave Moses and Elijah because those old covenant people, they were caught up in paradise with Jesus released. But Bible doesn't say anything about any one of them post-death. How do you know Elijah has access to God? Bible doesn't say about anybody having access to God. Doesn't say anything. So if you, I pray to St. Jude, first it's almost like necromancy. Because the Bible says that, don't pray to the dead. Okay, don't pray to the dead. Where are you getting all these ideas from? This one will pray for me, that one will pray for me, this one will pray for me, when the Bible actually and actively teaches you not to pray to them. Pray to them. And if that was the format, then in the Jerusalem council, they should have said, you know what, Uh, Stephen is dead. Let's all appeal to Stephen to put in a good word for us. And after that, James is dead. Oh, Peter and says, you know what? We will pray to James also to speak for our behalf. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. And if you come to the book of Revelation, there is nothing mentioned about any one of them. It is the Holy Spirit who takes John and shows him everything. And then the angels escort him and show, but I was in the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is happening. And he meets Jesus Christ. There is no intermediary, nobody there. No picture of anybody over there. The picture of the woman with the moon, that's a completely different thing. It's not Mary or anybody. Yet people do not know their scripture and how God functions in his kingdom. They have put their faith, even in their dying moments, on a bubble. This is why I said the greatest danger is deception, not tribulation. The tribulation that comes because of deception. 
Deception is the greatest danger always churches face. It is not physical torture, it is not sword, it is not pestilence, it is not war, it is not earthquake, it is none of those things. The greatest danger the church has always faced and Israel has always faced was deception. It was not pestilence, it was not war, it was the face, Israel faced all of it. But why were they destroyed? Only because of deception, full of false prophets and teachers. And there was one man or two men who will preach the truth and they will listen to them. Yet the word of God was there before them and they had the testimony of their fathers. They won't listen to that. They will listen to some fellow who will come and prophesy, this is life is all about becoming like the world. And this is the same danger church is caught in. Church is caught in. And that's what the Bible is talking about. And he is very, very clear. If the woman is not willing to follow you, that's fine. No compromise. Oh, yo, my son is growing so old and nobody should, okay, okay, fine, please get, 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 you know, somebody nice from among here. Look among the Canaanites if there is a godly girl. God says no. God says no. If there is no, there's no church like that, don't worry, I'll clear this creation, start all over again for a bride for my son. I'm not, I will not change my standards for everybody, anybody. It never will happen. It never will happen because I am who I am. This is who I am. And if the cross does not change man, nothing will change man. Nothing will change man. Nothing will change. No. That's why Paul and all understood and they preach Christ crucified. So we have to be very, very clear. Don't, don't ever stick to the simplicity of Christ Jesus and the simplicity of the gospel and the simple power of the word of God. Don't get fooled by ambience because this is what settings can do. When you have all these screens and color and light and all this going on or you go, you go to Vatican or you go to St. Paul's Cathedral, the Protestant, this thing, you see that ambience and that is happening with ceremony. You go to St. Paul's Cathedral in London and you look at the royal wedding taking place, you must think, oh, it feels so godly. Every one of them is an ungodly person standing in that crowd over there who have sold their slaves lives like traffickers. You look at the ambience, don't look at the ambience. That is why when God sent his prophets, there was no ambience. Elijah had no ambience. None of the prophets had any. John the Baptist had no ambience. And when Jesus came, he had no ambience at all. Problem with ambience is, be decent, look it so it doesn't distract. When you create an ambience, you are trying to add to the word. God's word doesn't need addition. doesn't need addition. That's the problem because we are very visual people. The ambience create. Imagine all in that glitter and glory and everything. A thousand chandeliers and those huge setups and everybody in colored robes and hats and oh, coming in. You, you will believe this is true. This is true. It's a time when you will see that in heaven. Then the ambience and the word, everything is true. But here the ambience is false. And the word is also false. So you have to be very, very keep. People should not be able to build this. The word of God should be able to stand on its own. That's why I said yesterday about offense. And even we have to be very careful. Somebody says anything about the church, we are not offended. We look at the, what did they say about the church and go back and say, did I say that? Then they have a right to be offended. 
Okay. If somebody says about Jesus Christ, I don't get offended. Christ can stand on his own. He doesn't need my defense. When we were studying in college and all those days, people used to make this thing and make fun of Jesus Christ and all. You don't know what you're talking about. We're not even offended. I said, Christ needs me to defend. You're not talking about argument, apologetics. Okay, That's a different setting altogether. If let us say Hindu shout something at you and says your God is like that, we will shout your God is like that. No need. We are not offended by those things. This is all flesh. We have a fleshly devotion to Christ Jesus. No. Our devotion to Christ has got nothing to do with the flesh. It is spiritual reality. You can say whatever you can say about my Jesus Christ. You know what? He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. I feel sorry for you. Because one day you will also have to face him. I don't have to face your God. You will face my God. I know the truth. And therefore I feel sorry for you. That's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And told women, don't weep over me. Weep over yourself. Because you have missed your time. You're weeping over me. I'm going to glory. But you will have to stand before me one day. And I will have to judge you by who I am. And I cry for you for the day of judgment. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. You did not know. So understand those things. Because all this false attachment and zeal to any particular thing in the Christian religious setup is false. Jesus was zealous for his father's house because instead of prayer, trafficking was going on there. They have made it into a Canaanite center. What did he do? He overturned all the tables of the money changers and the sellers because it had become Canaanites. All Canaanites sitting there in the house of God. Making money. Profiting out of the whole thing. And that's my issue with pastors. My issue with pastors is I understand it. Okay, I understand it. I understand printing costs. If you print 10,000, this thing costs this much. And to print, okay, I can understand. But what kind of nonsense is this? You have a meeting and outside is all your books. And your books cost 200, like $30 and $40 and all. You're traffickers of God's truth. Did you really get it or he gave it to you? If it is your truth, it's worth nothing. If it is his truth, it came by revelation. You worked, prayed, but it came by revelation. So it is not your truth. It is his truth. And you are putting a price tag on it, which is beyond what people can afford. Right? Or else, you must... Put it in your website for all those people in different nations. This is I received from the Lord. So if you cannot afford it, write to me. We'll send you a free PDF. Do it. This is a peddlers of God's word. And that's my issue with all of them. My issue with all of them is you don't tell me how cheap it is. This is all very cheap. How, what is it costing us? The only thing that will cost us is thousand rupees for the internet, right? And the AC bill when it comes because it's summer. Other than that, there is no expense over here. Why do they have to keep on saying if you liked about this thing, send a donation? We are not asking you to send us anything. We are not peddlers of God's word. Why are these people forever asking for donations? Canonites. It's a Canaanites. That's my issue with people. My issue with people is this. 
Okay? You don't trust God. You don't trust God. If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. And verse 9 and 10. So the servant put, he made his oath. Okay? And verse 10, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia. Did you see that? Ten is a number of, like, authority of power. Abraham has put all... Man, think about it. Why should it be this way? Abraham is there. Hundred and forty years old. Isaac, the only heir, is there forty years. But he's given all power and authority to whose hands? Father is there. Son is there in the church age. Whom has he given all power and authority into? Into his spirit. All power and authority. And he took ten of his master's camels and departed. Meaning God is saying, okay, God is saying, if you are preparing a bride in the search for a bride for my son, the power and the resources you need for that, my spirit will give you. You don't have to worry about it. Only be sure what you are doing. Churches don't ever have to worry. If you are in the ministry of searching and preparing a bride for my son, the power and the authority and the resources you need, my spirit will give you. You continue. We will just finish in a few minutes. You continue the entire narrative. It's interesting, Genesis chapter 24, after that he comes and Rebecca and all that stuff. And then finally when they are in the house, only the servants who went with Eliezer are mentioned. You will not see the servants being mentioned anywhere there. Who are we? Servants of Eliezer. Our identity does He's hidden. We are hidden in the Holy Spirit, just doing His work to find and prepare a bride for Jesus Christ. That's what we are doing. It's not about us. It's not about That's why I don't like this TV thing, because people start seeing your face. And when you see the face, when you go back, you also start looking at your face. Earlier you only heard your voice. No. Servants under Eliezer. That's what we are. Every every man of God called and sent out by God is a servant under Eliezer. What is it? You have making this journey to find a bride for Isaac. Bride for Isaac. And that is the ministry. What is he looking for? A church that is willing to follow him. All the way back. At his bidding. Ephesians 5.23 For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Will the body follow the head? All the wives and the women will be fidgeting over there. Leave them. We are not talking about you. We are talking about the church and Christ. The symbol is there in the house. It's there in the house. Okay. Even if your husband is a fool like Nabal, and Abigail 
gets on her donkey and rides, she's still keeping the interest of your husband first. She's fighting for the life of her husband. So she still recognizes he's my head and I need to protect him because he's a fool and a drunkard. Okay. It's God who gives him a heart attack. Is the church willing to follow? All the way? That's a question. He will not come back. She has to follow the Holy Spirit all the way. He will only come apart, a little part of the way with it. He will come a little from his father's house. So Jesus, I believe, will come in the clouds. A little part, not much. But the church has to go all the way. And who will take the church? Only the Holy Spirit. Only Eliezer can take. So the question is, will we follow him all the way now? Revelation 14, 1, and then verse 4. And then verse 4. First verse 1. I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their forehead. forehead. Okay, it's just like my wife. What's her name? Mrs. James. Who is James? My father, not me. My name is not James. My father's name is James. She's known as Elsa James. Her, my father's name is on her forehead. Not my name. My name is, most people don't even know my name. I'm known by my father's name. A lamb standing on Mount Zion, on the mountain. And 144, how can, how can 144,000 people stand on the peak? Think about it. 144, they are waiting in a line to reach the peak in Mount Everest. First fellow goes and he will take two selfies and he will come down. Next fellow goes, takes a selfie, comes down. Because everybody can't reach the peak at the same, not even two people. One by one they have to go. But here 144,000 are standing on the peak, thinking they have become one with the lamb. Spiritually they have become one with the Lamb. Their identity is completely submerged in Him. Therefore they are able to stand on the peak with Him. That's a bride. A picture of the bride. And when you come to verse 4, these are the ones who were not defiled with women. What is women? Churches, doctrines, ideologies. Otherwise only men make it. It can't be women. If this women is women, then Jesus is also gender biased. No, he is not. On earth he has given roles, but there he said there is no man or woman. Everyone will make it according to how they ran their race and one. But here I said I have given roles, so don't overlap roles. But there it cannot be women, cannot be women. It has to be individuals who came through every false doctrine. Babylon and her sisters had taken over the earth. And they came through it. And how did they come through? They came out as virgins. They did not begin as virgins. Understand that. They began as harlots. But they understood like Paul. And when they finished, they finished with pure doctrine. The doctrine of the son. All they had not defiled with all these various, various doctrines that they were permeating the entire church. To mess up the bride. Okay, so if he cannot kill you, he will try to sell. So what is this whole thing? The whole thing of the devil uh, in um, the first judgment of Noah was to defile mankind. So that 
the Redeemer would not come. That is the whole idea. The seed of the woman, the Redeemer wouldn't come. Now that the Redeemer has come and finished his work, his entire purpose is to defile the bride. Defile. Same thing. Now it's not aimed at the bridegroom, it's aimed at the bride. And the bride has to see this. The entire purpose of his first was aimed to see the bridegroom who didn't come. Now he has come. He went through it all and came and finished blameless. Now his entire attack is at the bride to see that she defiles. Okay? So these are women. They have not, these are not defiled with women. With all the various ideology. Every ideology is a woman. It's a seducing period. It's a woman riding the beast because the beast gets its power from the ideology. That's why I say Mao is dead. Maoism is not dead. Marx is dead. Marxism is not dead. All these ideologies is what gives the power, rides on the political power. Political power and ideologies, even if it is religious power, goes together. Otherwise it does not have power. The Supreme Court has to make a decision. Homosexuality, same-sex marriage, is the law of the land. Now an ideology has been empowered. The political system and the ideology has come. The woman has succeeded. The beast has given her power. Otherwise it had no power. No power. Even if you were, you were hiding and hiding, hiding and hiding and now with the power has come. These are the women and the beast coming together. But the bride had come undefiled. You fought it every time. Maybe got a little and understood, repented and got rid of it, got rid of it, got rid of it. By the time she finishes, she's a chaste, pure virgin, simplicity, devotion to her husband. And what does the Bible say? Who? Who? Follows? Wherever he goes. Such a thing. My son will not go. She should be willing to follow him. What she did on earth, she will do for eternity with him. Because she followed here by faith. She will follow him wherever he goes by sight. And that's the first criteria he puts over there. First criteria that he puts over there. And these are the pictures we have to get. These are the, otherwise we'll miss our, miss our picture. And this battle becomes very, very boring and tiring and how long. No, we are like children, no? After some time you take them on a trip in the train. After some time they sound like the train. When will we reach? 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 I said you are sounding just like the train. Okay. When will we reach? When will we reach? You will reach when the train reaches. I cannot go back and for the train and push it to go further. Right? We can't make anything happen. God has set a time for everything. When will you come? When will you come? When will you come? When will you come? He says, okay, but I will come when I have, when the father says it is time. Your job is to be prepared every day and to be occupied until I come. You have to be prepared and you have to occupy, meaning you have to be working internally and allowing my spirit to do the work. Otherwise we will not work. That's the problem. We will not work. And it's, there is the redemption that comes through the work. Which we don't realize. If God were to tell in the year 2020, 344,000 people will be saved in India. Here are their names. We'll simply go to them and say, get saved and we'll go and sleep. Instead, what will happen? He will say, I won't tell you any. I won't tell you who also. So people will go and say, get slapped over there. And he said, are you? He said, yeah, I told you. No? Long, long suffering you learn in the meantime. 
that was not meant to be said but i wanted you to learn something you said you love me you know but love is kind and suffers long now you know whether you suffered long or not one slap you got you want to hit him back see you are not ready to be my bride could knock on a few more doors there's a redemption that comes through the work It's a redemption that happens within and the redemption that comes through the work. It's not this redemption in terms of salvation, but our sanctification. Otherwise, we'll all think we are the best of people. We aren't. Let people rub us the wrong way. Iron sharpens iron stone, great stone. <laughs> okay. So this is the question. Will the church follow? will the church follow is the question if the church does not follow then the church is not waiting for the bridegroom it's not waiting or going anywhere and that's where you see it stops he takes 10 of his camels takes all the servants and god has given him everything that he needs all the resources you need all the wealth you need all the protection you need all the servants you need spirit of god take and get a bride for my son and ministers and ministries need to realize that way lord if i am doing your work that is to get people into the kingdom and then make that people into the bride our resources will come i'm going to go and ask if i'm if i am if i am struggling in resources where did i go wrong lord where did i go wrong let me tell you one and i will stop it's time again famine in the time of jacob the famine is hitting everybody and it hits jacob's family also they went first time they came back petrified went back second time petrified and then finally when god's redemption purpose is achieved Joseph reveals himself. He says, go, get your father and everybody and come. Once Joseph reveals himself, it's still famine. And in the five years of famine, famine stops for them. They will never experience famine again because Jesus has revealed his face to them. Though it is famine for the rest of the world, they don't experience famine. Because he's revealed himself to them. second year of famine is when they come two years into famine how many years are left five years will they ever experience famine no they're living under joseph in goshen and is taking care of everything for them because the purpose of redemption is over he has revealed himself to them and they are working and they are not experiencing famine famine is there but they are not experiencing famine what they need is given to them this exactly we need to understand and what is my purpose so that's why lying in prison also heals it says i lack nothing really did you eat anything today no the soldiers didn't bring food today you lack nothing nothing why because even in these chains you know the gospel is being stretched purpose of god is working through me i know how to be abased i know how to abound the work of god is not constrained by these chains I understand my purpose and I realize these chains 
for the next 2000 years these chains i had to go through the captivity i have to go through the suffering i've got to through will bring forth the clarity of word and scripture will prepare a bride for christ in the next 2000 years so his purpose is being changed doesn't stop it his power and his supply is available for me here all you will hear is a clang of chains but doctrine is coming out pure the purpose of god is being fulfilled unless we see it that way we will preach another gospel. It is all about, give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. It's all about money and health and send in your offerings. I will send you anointed prayer handkerchief and all kind of junk and I will send you a cup. I got this free from Appu. I didn't have to pay for it. What all junk they sell? Traffickers. Give it away free. You make so much money, you know. Why do you want to sell that also? Why don't you give it free? Nothing is free from these ministries, have you noticed? Everything is paid. Everything we have given in these 12 years have been free. Everything is on the net free. The transcripts people sit and work day and night, everything is put up there free. Every book we have printed, we have kept it free in the bookstalls. Free, 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 free. Because if you believe in the truth in the beginning, it doesn't change till the end, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't put a tag like Zach Bernard and all. Very reasonable price. Very deep truths. Compared to the junk these people peddle on TV, his word is deep revelations, deep truths. What price? Pittance. I'm telling you the truth. You need to go to bookstalls. When this is second sales happen, you will understand. Canaanites sit there also. All Canaanites sitting over there. They don't know the value of God's word and his revelation. Joyce Meyer, 200 rupees. Joel Austin, 300 rupees. William Barclay, 5 rupees. Boy, you put this price tag? You Canaanite, you put this price tag? I thank God he did not know that he actually put 5 rupees for what was valuable and put 200 rupees on junk. I've seen. So old days I used to go. I used to look at it and say, oh my God, Spurgeon, nobody wants. Barclay, nobody wants. 5 rupees, 3 rupees, 2 rupees, 7 rupees, 10 rupees. And this all this junk, 200 rupees, 150 rupees. Second hand books, not even first hand. People do not know. Canaan is thriving in all our Christian economy. Canaanites, no trafficker. Remember, no trafficker. He will not have a bride from them. He will not have a bride. So please remember, we give freely. Because even in our soul, by mistake, we don't want to be judged as a Canaanite. We receive it freely, we will give it away freely. And when we cannot give it anymore, we will stop. But we will not peddle the things of God things of God. So this evening as we close once again, <coughs> tomorrow is Sunday, please remember three services, but remember what God is doing. He's preparing a bride for his son. Who will follow him all the way. Who's constantly, constantly 
ministered to by the word and by the spirit. Only two people. Through the instruments of the servants of God. But only two people will work in a believer's life. The word of God and the spirit of God. Not a third person. You may be beneficiary of an angelic ministry. But two people alone work in your soul. Peter was sleeping. Knocked out between the guards. Church was praying. But because he was sleeping, God had to send an angel to get him free. Paul and Silas were worshipping. So no angel was required. The Spirit of God shook up the place and broke the chains and set them free. From heaven to our soul, we receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Word. Keep it that way. Keep it that way. No saint. Nobody. No special anointed man who comes in his own name. Just God. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. Eliezer will have many servants, but their names are not mentioned, not even their numbers. They are hidden in Eliezer. They have no identity. They are willing servants of the servant, elder servant and the household. They know is the Holy Spirit who rules over all of God's kingdom and they know they are just his servants. Now all the dear ones who are hearing tonight surrender to the Spirit of God. And then to the word of God. First to the spirit. And then to the word. So the spirit will open your eyes to understand the word. That's what Paul prayed. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Unless the spirit teaches and the spirit opens our eyes. We will not understand the word. We will read it with our flesh. And the flesh is of Canaan. It's a Canaanite. It's a trafficker. Don't read the word with the flesh. Love the Holy Spirit. Surrender your will tonight. Jesus said, if anyone wills to do my will, you will know what doctrine is. Commit everyone who is hearing, Lord, young and old, into thy hands. And I pray and I plead the blood of Jesus over them. Protect them from heresy. Protect them from deception. Deliver them from the power of deception. Millions upon millions have ended in hell because of heresy and because of deception. That's how the bride is defiled. Deception. Therefore she does not love him with all her mind. She loves him with imaginations. Because our mind has been defiled. That there is no understanding of God. There is no true knowledge of God. Help us Lord. Help us. During these days. Help us to learn. To know. And to follow you. Wherever you lead us. 
The journey for Rebecca is going to be long. Eliezer has reached Mesopotamia and she has to go all the way to Canaan. An unknown journey with an unknown person but trusting him with her life. That's what the church does. Church hasn't seen Jesus, only experienced him in his spirit. Church did not see the Holy Spirit come like a dove, only experienced him in the inner man, but is following the leading of the Spirit through the word, so that one day faith will become sight. Help us to follow you, Lord. And when we fall, when we err, Spirit of God, put us back on the road again. This is a journey. The way to the Father's house. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father other than through me. Pray the, the, the scales will drop from the eyes of your children around the world. That they will be able to discern between what is true and what is a lie. Even if it is preached from the most exalted pulpits. Come against the spirit of deception. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I pray every imposter will be exposed and taken out. So many imposters. Leading your people astray. Replacing Christ with flesh. With idols. Deliver your people, Lord, in these days. Deliver them. That this lockdown will turn out to be the greatest blessing the church has seen in recent times. That each one could be able to say the devil meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Yes, we lost financially. Yes, we lost so much in this world, but we gained so much in the spirit. God showed us the truth during those days. What is really valuable in the kingdom. It was not money. It was relationships. A true relationship with God and a relationship with one another. It is the only thing that mattered and will matter in eternity. Open eyes, Lord. Open eyes. Open eyes. We rebuke every power of darkness in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. No weapon that is formed against us will prosper. Every lying tongue that rises against us in judgment, we condemn it in the name of Jesus. For our righteousness is of you. It's not of our works. It's because of you and your work alone as the servants of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Put a hedge of protection around all your children, especially the newborn ones. Hedge of protection around them, Lord. Even tonight, hedge of protection around all of them. Keep them safe, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father. 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.